Welcome to the Mess But Principal cast, everyone. Uh, I am Brett Domstrand, principal at Lake Marion Elementary in Lakeville, Minnesota, and I am here at the MESPA Institute. We're actually just at the final closing day today, and uh, it's been a great three days of learning and collaborating with all of our fellow Minnesota principals. And today, I am excited to welcome our newest NDP finalist for the Nationally Distinguished Principal. Our guest today from Bridgewater Elementary is Nancy Antoine. Nancy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. So um, Nancy and, and I actually are both sharing the honor of being finalists along with Tony Steffes, who um, isn't with us today. But uh, we are excited just to talk a little bit more about what our practices are. And Nancy, before we get started, I just want to recognize that you've been contributing to MESPA for a long time. Um, you, you, you're, our, you're our past president, but you were our president and really served as a great leader for MESPA for the last five years. Um, but also, you and I were talking before we started here that you're on the, the Minnesota Board of School Administrators, or we know it as BOSA here, um, on the Ethics Committee. You're part of the YMCA Board of Directors. You're also on the Minnesota Teacher of the Year um, judging panel. How do you yes. fit all this in to being also a leader of a school? <laughs> well, I try, you know, obviously my building is my priority. However, um, there are certain things that fill people's cups. And being a part of these professional organizations really does fill my cup. And I enjoy serving, and I especially enjoy serving our, our students across the state, but I also enjoy serving our teachers and our leaders. So um, the Board of School Administrators really allows me a chance to serve our colleagues, our administrative colleagues, and being that voice for them and helping sort through some of the things that that um, other people may not know that we deal with on a, on a daily basis. You know, when our legislators are talking about no suspensions, you know, we know what it's like to be in those buildings dealing mm-hmm. with kids who have lost their self-regulation for a moment or for a day or for a week. We know what that's like. So giving voice to that is really important. Um, being on the Minnesota Teacher Theory Judging Panel, I've learned so many great strategies from those teachers. They're um, a vibrant group of people and to be able to sit there and and think about, okay, how best could we utilize the skills of this person? Um, Talking to one of the the applicants last year, he's an industrial technology teacher and really thinking about hmm, I wonder if we could uh, twist some things on their head and go you know, we've got a we have a captive captive audience for some of our CTE skills, mm-hmm. and um, what if we were actually to teach some of those skills to the people we have in maybe the minimum security prisons, and give give our minimum security prisoners some skills that that would lead to an actual real job that would actually give them a real salary and a real future. For example, if you teach if you teach someone how to do how to be an electrician or how to be a plumber or how to be a construction worker, you're giving them true skills, mm-hmm. not just not just teaching them how to how to be a, a a better criminal. You're actually teaching them something that is is truly needed and um, that we're that we're has, we have a shortage with right now. So and I talked to this gentleman about it, and he's like, oh, I have a contact in one of one of the the local facilities and um in in one of the correction facilities was actually going to go pursue that so that's kind of how um that whole position it's really honoring the teachers that we have 
and I make sure that I take one of my teachers with me to the the final um, celebration so that they they can see other great teachers that are in the state. Um, the YMCA Board of Directors, um, I just have always enjoyed being a part of the YMCA since I, was, I never grew up with the YMCA. Um, but when I was in Worthington, um, I was on the Board of Directors there and I was on the Executive Board. And that was advantageous because I had a building of a 1,000 kids. Mm-hmm. And so we were the only elementary school in town planning programming for those students that wasn't um, away from the school environment. And we were fortunate that we had land. We had acres and acres. The, the local YMCA was, was landlocked. It was downtown, so there was no land. So we, pra- we planned the YMCA programming at the elementary school, and the kids stayed there, and then they would either be bused from the school or our parents would pick them up. Mm-hmm. So that's why that's such, a, um, that's such an aspiration for me because one of the things I'd like to see throughout our entire state is having swim lessons that are mandatory for all of our first graders. Catch them oh. at first grade because then, then they'll, they'll all learn how to swim, um, especially in Minnesota where the land of 10,000 lakes. I have been to a funeral of a first grader who drowned, and that really set me on this path and toward making sure that we can make that happen. But mm-hmm. it would ni- be nice to see that happen throughout the state. So personal experience in some cases and personal passions in the other. Because this is totally... I, I would describe this as something that is, is giving back. So it fills your cup, but you're also helping the development of whether we're talking about principals, administrators, or our community. Um, it's, it's a total give back. Absolutely. Um, Nancy, it says a lot about you. And, and many people, I'm, well, you know what, I, I'm, I'm going to go on the assumption that a lot of people don't know. So you grew up in the Iron Range, but you have a, um, or, I don't know if Iron Range, up north. On uh, the North Shore, yes. On the North Shore. And so, um, and you have a very interesting story about how your upbringing has kind of led you into where you are. And um, growing up in that, that Scandinavian culture, but also having other cultures in your background. Talk a little bit about how that's formed who you are as a leader. It has everything to do with that. And um, yes, I my hometown is Lutzen. I went to went to elementary school in Tofty and high school or junior high and high school in Grand Marais. And most people hear that and they think, oh, what a beautiful area. It's wonderful up there. We love it. We vacation up there. Yes, and it is a beautiful area. I Don't get me wrong. It is absolutely beautiful. But um, growing up there when you're not part of the in crowd is definitely different. And you can, but you can also spend all of your time focusing on the negative things that happened, or you can take and springboard from that and, and in the leadership roles we're in, letting people know that, I'm sorry, but that's not going to happen to this child, not on my watch. And that's how I've taken that. Yes, I have, I've experienced racism. I've experienced discrimination. I've just, um, one of the songs that I remember kids um, singing to me on the bus was Linda Ronstadt's song, You're No Good. And, uh, you know, hearing that time and time again really takes a shot to your self-esteem. And, you know, I left... I left high school thinking that I was the, the ugliest, dumbest person in the entire world. And um, I did not have that teacher that said, well, you should really go into education. I had just the opposite experience. And, but I had a vision. I knew that I wanted to go to, go to college because education, education is the only way out. 
And so, again, you can you can take and be bitter. You can be upset, whatever you want to want to be. But that doesn't serve anybody. Mm-hmm. So to take and turn that around and say, okay, so what can I do from those experiences to help my students, help my teachers, help other principals? That's what I want to do. And being able to let our kids know that, yeah, you can you can do and become every anything you want to be. Right. Especially in my times. Um, I'm actually a licensed secondary math teacher. Oh. <laughs> I went into teaching math. Another thing I didn't know about you, so go <laughs> figure, right? <laughs> um, I went into teaching math because I knew math didn't have to be as hard as it was when I took math. Um, I had a teacher that um, was very strict about learning things and wanted things to be just so. Um, and kids were made to feel badly because they didn't understand it. Well, to me, math was math was easily understood, and it, you can easily explain it. I think, mm-hmm. and so that I spent a lot of time teaching other kids how to do math, especially algebra. Love teaching algebra anyway, and so that's really where that was my my step off point. There's teaching kids how to do that, so they didn't and, and making it attainable for people. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that's what I. I that's what I. That's what I loved doing. And when I when I taught high school, that was really important to teach kids how to get it, how to how to dream, how to turn their dream into an aspiration, mm-hmm. and then how to turn that aspiration into something they could do. Especially those high schoolers that immediately come in and say, "Well, math is always hard for me," and to say, "You're okay, so you're right." However, we're gonna we're gonna change the tone mm-hmm. and and make it make it fun. For example, the fun we had. You know, we started out the first uh, five ten minutes of class every single day. It was all about building relationships. I didn't know it then, but sometimes we had a dance party when they first came in the classroom. How fun! I've done all my, all my teaching inner city, so um, it was really important to connect with those kids yeah. and make learning fun, but also make the content attainable for them. So absolutely love that. So what led you from teaching into the principal role then? Well, I wanted to work toward making changes for more students. At the high school level, you have about 150 students that you're that you're responsible for. Um, with administration, currently right now, I'm I'm in charge of all 600 students, mm-hmm. and I, and I love that being able to um, sit down with a student and have those frank conversations about okay, here's here's what I see you doing, but also here's what here's what I see for you because sometimes they don't even see their own potential, mm. and then and then having them actually come back and ask questions and want to want to make better decisions to move forward. You know that relationship piece is huge for me. So was elementary where you thought you would be as you started in your teaching career? Not not at all. <laughs> not at all. I thought I was going to be working with working with the the high school kids predominantly uh, except for the fact that I started out working on a campus of um 1600 ninth graders when I was teaching in Texas. 1600 ninth graders? 1600. That's a lot of ninth graders. <laughs> That's a lot of immaturity. <laughs> That's a lot of loose hormones. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Um, so what what ended up um, leading you to elementary principalship? Well, again, it came, it came back to making a difference for kids. And I figured if I need to catch them before middle school yeah. in order to make that difference. And so that's why I thought about, let's let's try it elementary and find out if we can make a difference here, will it make a difference in the long run? And I found out that it really can. So you just started applying for elementary. So like I, yep. I, I'm always curious as to how people's uh, journeys happen because I was in middle school and high school and somebody, 
I, I was asked to think about elementary, and I, I had never thought about it before. So you had actually been thinking um, along the lines of where do I see my best fit as a Correct. leader? Correct. Okay. Where do I see the, Where do I see a place where I can make the most impact? Yeah. Now, have you has your elementary leadership always been in Northfield, or where, where, what no. other experiences do you have? No, my, I started out in, in the Robbinsdale School District. Yeah, so I, I was there, and I was I was at Hosterman and Sandberg. So oh, there I you know. go. Yeah. <laughs> so I was at uh, Meadow Lake Elementary yeah. and um, Study Hollow. Okay, yeah. And um, I was in, at the time I was an IA, an instructional assistant, which was basically a teacher on special assignment, um, working as an assistant principal under the teacher salary. So, yeah. So like a TOSA. Yes. Okay. Yep. But you're mm-hmm. getting the experience. Absolutely. And that's right. why I thought, you know, I need the experience because I haven't taught elementary, but I, so I need that instructional experience at that level to figure out, okay, how, how, how does this work? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I've been at the, um, I've been at the elementary, um, level now. Oh gosh. 24 years. 24 years. Yeah. So I that's started a lot out, of dedication to our kids. It, I, it's, it's a pleasure and an honor. Yeah. So I went from there, and when they when they cut all of the instructional assistants in 2001, um, I had to make a choice between going back into the classroom or just seeking other administrative routes. And um, it was there that I applied for a position down in Worthington as the assistant principal. Mm-hmm. And so I finished up that first year as an assistant principal there, and um, the superintendent offered me the head principal position because the head principal was leaving for another position. Okay. Uh, well, sure. Why Here's not try my opportunity, that? right? Yeah, yeah. I was hearing opportunity knocking, and I didn't want to say no. And so I stayed down there another uh, five years, and then um, then applied for a position in Northfield in 2007. And I've been there, like I said, for 12 and a half years. Pardon my interruption. Just uh, um, so when you were in Worthington, um, it, it's now. Um, because um, migrant populations make up a lot, because of all the farmland that's going on around um, Worthington, was that um, was farming still a big part of Worthington in that at that time when you were there? Not as much. Okay. Not as much. Um, many of the immigrants that were there were working at the um, the local meat processing plant. Mm, okay. Mm-hmm. And so, so you have some transiency with with definitely student, right, and so that always, as a leader, presents a new set of issues of how do you support students who are coming in with so many different levels of experience, mm-hmm. and how do you support your staff in helping them get kids where they need? We know where they need to be, yep. but they come in with so many different levels. It can be very stressful for for teachers. Yes. So, as a first year principal, as your first leading job, what were some of the things that you had to quickly figure out in order to support your staff and your kids. You had, I mean, the biggest piece was figuring out personalities. And because that the first year that I was there was the first year that the school was opened. Mm-hmm. So they had closed two other elementary schools and combined all of them into, into one school. So we had Central Elementary and West Elementary, which was closed into made, and they opened Prairie Elementary. So the um, the principal at the time, she and I opened opened that building together. So you had to take two totally different staff from two buildings and put them together, and then try to I mean talk about building the plane while you right, while you were flying right. it. And then on top of that, that was. Um, obviously, I started. I started in July of two thousand one, and obviously September of two thousand one was nine eleven. Yeah, and so that happened, and you know, I, I don't know my staff personally at that time, and 
really had to dig in and get to know, okay, who do I have here? Who needs help? Who needs assistance? While well, I'm still trying to figure all that out. Mm-hmm. So I figured if 9-11 happened right when I moved there, and when I moved to Northfield, that's when the 35W bridge collapsed. Oh, okay. I'm not moving anymore. <laughs> right, right. Don't want that luck. Come, uh, un- well, it's not luck. It happens to be coincidence. But yeah. it's um, leading through tragedies is... It's a hard place to be. It's right? hard, and yet you you grow through that. Yeah. So I think with with the transiency of the students, um, it's a matter of catch them where they're at, do right by them for the time you have them, mm-hmm. because we don't we don't have that's not a that's not in within our sphere of influence of where where people live, but do right by those children for the time we have them. And then, you know, giving them the pieces that they need to move forward, and that's the best I can do. And sometimes it sometimes it means your your heart follows them out the door. And, right. and when my babies leave, it's it's so hard. It is so hard, <laughs> and you get connected to. I mean, we we want to love every one of them as if they are our own. Yes. And when you think that way, it, it it makes it so hard to watch watch each one of them leave. Absolutely. Um, you know. Um, Nancy, now speaking of children, so like we've talked about your son and his and and football and the trials and tribulations of raising adolescents and into what it's like having kids in college. So, yes. um, talk a little bit about now, now. Did your kids go to your your school? Or Absolutely. No? Absolutely. <laughs> so, what was it like for you to um, to be a parent and a leader? It was the part that actually taught me so much. And I tell both my kids, I am a better leader because I'm your mom. Um, I would, if I would have just had my son, I would have thought, you know, academics come easy, friendships come easy. That's the way it is for everyone. Um, and then I had my daughter who struggles, struggles academically, um, and yet is the kindest person. Oh, just, the, she's got just an amazing heart. And so through through her, I have experienced what it's like to um, be filled with anxiety, what it's like to see things differently. Like I always say that through her eyes, I know that that trees have different colors. There's so many different shades of green because she'll say, "Wow, did you did you notice did you notice how how that how that group of trees is over there? Did you notice the colors in the grass over here?" And, and you know, I'm thinking, "No, I didn't." And but she's the one that makes me stop and look deeper. And, and my son is the one that, that makes me see humor in everything. And, yeah, they were, they, they were with me as students in Worthington. Mm-hmm. So from um, grade, grades kindergarten through um, second and third, and then brought, brought them with me to Northfield. And they started in third and fourth grade. And it was hard when they left, left the elementary school. But I could still follow them within the same district, yeah. and then um, through high school, I was their parent volunteer through all their all their activities, and so it was it was fun to to follow them. And now into college, they went to the same college together because well, why wouldn't we, Mom? We, we like each other. I'm like, well, yes, you do. Thank goodness. But I have learned a lot through them and from them, and cut the part of college that's been really difficult is race teaching them race relations especially with my son um knowing that you know I, you don't you never know what they're going to experience and so that whole first initiation into this is this is what happens when this is what can happen with law enforcement and especially males of color and that was so hard 
um, for him to understand, well, why would, the, why would the police treat us differently? Why would the police treat a white student different from, than from a black student? And, you know, having to explain that, you know, it's, it is going to be different, and you can assume nothing at that point, but your best bet is to always basically stay on the straight and narrow and, you know, stay out of, stay out of that, that, that visual um, realm there so that you don't have to worry about that. But, you know, both kids say um, law enforcement doesn't make me feel comfortable, which is really hard for me um, growing up with my uncle is the, was the first black sheriff of Minnesota. So we grew up with law enforcement in the family. Mm-hmm. And so to have to hear that from my children right now is heartbreaking because not, I mean, not all police officers are that way. I know so many wonderful police officers, so many. But to hear that from, his, from your child and have to explain that, okay, this is, this is why things can be different, and, but this is how you have to navigate. You know, use your, use your speaking skills and use your words all the time to explain what you're doing, explain what, what, what your next steps are so you can, you can avoid those situations. But to hear both kids say that law enforcement makes me really nervous, Does, they do not make me feel safe, they make me feel unsafe, was heart-wrenching. Oh, and, and and trying to trying to have to navigate that of saying this is the way the world works, whether you like it or not, is mm-hmm. not as, as a parent. It's so it's such a harsh lesson to have to teach about the world we live in. Absolutely, and and you know the um, and and to know that like like you said, the majority of the people that we know are doing good work. Absolutely. And we have to be able to trust in our society that there are people that are um, taking implicit bias out and taking some of the things that we need to work on as an oppressive system of how do we mm-hmm. actually challenge this, the current system and really bring about true equity. Right. But how do we make sure that our kids that are living in that world right now that is not changed – Yep. That, that we have to still do what's right and get them ready because you, the worst thing we can do is not have a prepared child. Exactly. Sadly. 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 I mean, to, to realize that there, there are many of our black and brown brothers and sisters, especially our brothers who are stopped on a regular basis by law enforcement. And it's not just a matter of, you know, may I, may I check your driver's license and your registration? No, it's... It's out in the middle of the street, in front of everyone, spread eagle over the top of a car, maybe physically harmed, things like that. That's our reality for especially some of our our black males in our society. But again, it's, you know, there there are good people and bad people in every profession, and I realize that. But that one's just a hard one to stomach, uh, extremely hard one to stomach, especially, like I said, I I'm I was born with law enforcement right around me and you know I uh, I value my my uncle John for the work he that the work he did especially bl- being like I said the first black sheriff of Minnesota that's huge so I'm really proud of him I I just I hope and pray that things change in our society so that people people can number one um police their own behaviors but also so people don't have to fear those who have been hired to protect and serve. Well, and the same thing goes with our roles as principals. Yes. When we say all kids, what does all kids mean to, to everyone? And, yes. And so as the we are given the responsibility, whether we want it or not, mm-hmm. you take the role of principal 
it is your responsibility to make sure every kid is getting what they need and they are safe and they can be who they are and find identity within our schools. And if they're not finding identity, they're going to try to seek it on their own. Yes. And then what do we do to either oppress it and stop it or to assimilate or to – and so we have to really work – with our staff and with our families and our communities to make sure that we are showing value, not just by our words, but by what our actions are Absolutely. doing. And that is, um, it is a tremendous responsibility for a principal to take on. And if you want to be, all you aspiring principals out there, it is part of our role and it's something yes. that we, we take very seriously. And um, I could truly appreciate I can appreciate what you're saying. I can't understand all of it because I haven't lived it, and I have a different. I have a different background. You and I have talked about yes. how, you know, how how all those different experiences we come to the light in a different way. And and you still keep so positive, Nancy. And I think we've talked about sometimes you see the things happening in the world, and it can make you want to cry and just go like, yes. oh, "What? When will this stop? Or when will things change?" And and you're doing a lot to be active about change without also making it to the point where people go, I don't want you to be our leader. Correct. And and so how do you walk that fine line? Um, you're in the community of Northfield, which is a two-university uh, <laughs> yes. town. And so that it, it brings in people from a lot of different places to their schools. Um, so you kind of have – it's such an interesting and, – and I'll say diverse because it's it has a, a, an intellectual community. Yep. It, they support their schools. Yep. Um, I, I, when I say diverse, I'm not talking about race. No. Uh, I, I'm, I'm talking about the people that it brings. But so when you're talking about some of the pieces of social justice, mm -hmm. right, as we bring those things out, it's not the primary mission of our school. Our school is to educate our students, but we weave that in, and you are doing that so well. How do you navigate that that delicate dance yeah it's a it's definitely a, a balancing act and um but i think that you know that whole piece of walk your talk you know if you're if you're going to talk about it you have, you've got to walk that and you have to be that one that that stands up stands up for that kid you know i i stand in the gap for for many of my kids i stand in the gap for my, my teachers as well mm -hmm. um you know there we have tough decisions we have to make and sometimes they're sometimes they're they're not pretty, and at the same time, you know, you can be that person that that tells someone, you know, just because just because the bus didn't pick your ch your child up today, that didn't doesn't mean that your your driver is racist. It just means your kids weren't out there on time. Right. But let's 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 talk about that further. You know, having those discussions, but it also means you stand up for some of your kids who may be um, being discriminated against by some some of the other adults and say no that's not right or um, many times i try to paint the picture for my staff of what what that child might be going through so they understand that they understand that it's it's different from than what you're what what you experienced and it doesn't mean that doesn't mean that you're wrong it just means you haven't had the experience yet right. and yet you know sometimes i feel like um my my own experiences limit me because you know, I've never, I've never lived, you know, inner city. I've never grown up in that environment. Um, I've, I've grown up in that environment where, you know, I'm solo only. I've, I get that piece, but I've never lived in those in those inner city environments, and that's just tough. It's really tough. But um, again, if we can teach our kids how to, how to dream and how to, uh, and the fact that education is a 
is wrote out. My gosh, education is everything. So grab a hold of it and go with it. Mm-hmm. And grab it, grab, take it, take advantage of the skills that you that are being taught to you, and take take that train on out of there because you, you don't have to stay in that environment just because you grow up in a specific environment or in in poverty. Like I grew up in poverty, doesn't mean that we have to stay there. That doesn't define us. You you choose what's going to define you. And you know, like I said, my whole my whole career has been that of service service to others, service to those kids who are underserved, and you know, making sure that you do right by them. You know, uh, one of my one of the first experiences that my husband and I had um, within the inner city environment was when I was teaching in Minneapolis, and um, uh, around. Um, the holiday times, I said, okay, so we're going to, we're going to go shopping for one of my students and her, her grandparents were raising her. And I said, we're going to go, we're going to go shopping for her. And we, we went out and we bought $200 worth of groceries for the family. And then we took them over to, to her family, her grandparents' house. And because they had a whole house full of kids, Mm -hmm. we took them over and dropped them off. And he just, he was really perplexed as to why, 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 why do you do this? I said, because those grandparents need to be, they need to be commended and praised for the work they're doing, raising these kids. And I mean, they could have said no, and then the kids would have gone into a foster care system and been, and, and who knows what would, would have happened. But I wanted those grandparents to know that I appreciate what you're doing, but I also wanted my student to realize that, hey, I'm, your, I'm not just your teacher. I'm someone who really cares about you. So here, happy holidays to you all. And um, it was one of those times when he said, I learned so much from you during that experience and learned what it is like to truly give without needing any, anything for that. And, and that's, that's really a lot of what we do is to give when when you don't need someone to come back and say thank you, you don't need to someone have someone write you a thank you card. Just know that when you serve others, you do right because it's it's right for your heart to do that. I have to ask, how did you not end up as a superintendent? Because <laughs> I'd be too far away from kids. Oh yeah, that, that is that is very true. Is what do you do when you're not by the kids? It's so hard yeah. to be in that role, but you have such a universal view. Of, of how we care for our families and care for our schools, and it comes through just in. It's no wonder you're a nationally, <coughs> nationally distinguished uh, uh, candidate here, right? Well, I am so honored. I'm very honored for that acknowledgement, and um, and back at you because you know um, the work we do. The work we do can be tough. But the work we do can also be very re- rewarding. You know, having those having those little kids um, and, and their comments every single day. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's worth than than millions of dollars to me. You know what? And it's and, and we got we got <coughs> into this um, because we want to serve. Yes. And 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 all through this interview, you've just been talking about serving, and and you're not just taking your job seriously as a principal. And we talked about your kids. But you also have your mom living with you too. Yeah. <laughs> right? And 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 Nancy, I not that I'm getting personal here, but I, I want to just say about what this says about who you are. Um, because people say family first, family first. Okay. Mm-hmm. Your mom, how many years has she lived with you? Uh, she's lived with us for twenty two and a half years. Okay, so twenty two and a half years you have been 
I think generationally we think about like when you're 18 and let's get you out of the house and go go be an adult on your own and go figure this all out. And and we talk about, oh, when our parents get older, someday they might come and live with us. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I asked you, what's that like having your mom live with you? Because it might be something very near my future. And I, I wonder what's that going to be like and change the dynamic in our house. And And you have shared with me nothing but optimism and positivity about what mm-hmm. it does in, in, in your home. And and then when we talk about your kids and their experiences and like what it feels like to be able to support them or whether you're going to football games and talking about sports or whether we're mm-hmm. um, making those big decisions, you are um, constantly thinking about your family, thinking about your kids, talking about all the good we can do in the world. And so um, everyone, I just want you to know like Nancy is a phenomenal person and we are lucky to have had her as our leader at MESPA for so many years. And, and I feel honored to be able to sit next to you and talk to you here in this interview. Thank you so much. Um, just a question for everybody that's out there. How can they find you if they want to follow you on Twitter or how, what's the best way to reach out to you? Oh gosh, probably the best for, I'm on, I'm on Facebook. Um, I don't, you know, I'm not one that posts a lot. Um, I don't post much on Twitter. But I'm I'm on Twitter. <laughs> okay. Um, you know the the best way to find me is th- is through my school. Okay. You know, um, I'm at Bridgewater Brit- Elementary. Yep, Bridgewater <laughs> Elementary, and you can always you can always you can always email me. You can find my address on the Mespo website as well. Um, yeah, and if you ever if there's ever anything you need, like I said, I'm not afraid to drive and find you and help you because that to me helping helping people help kids is is what it's all about. I, uh, everyone, I can tell you, I remember my first year when Nancy was running for president. She gave her her speech at my first MESPA meeting, uh, my first institute, and I remember going, "Wow, she's really good." And like, <laughs> and thinking to myself, and and thinking, I need to get to know her. And I got to tell you, over these last six years, I've really appreciated our friendship and our conversations. And so this this recording is not catching the essence of all the other things we've talked about in our in, in our history and friendship together. But everyone, Nancy is the real deal. And um, really want to say thank you for coming on the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And, and um, thank you for allowing me to lead and share with people because the work we do is so important and like I said, you can do other things that will bring in the money, but you can't do a whole lot more that can be as rewarding as the work we do every single day. When you get that thank you from students and from parents, and you hear parents that say, I'm so glad my children are at your school, to me that's huge. You know, when you get that, when you get that, that dad that comes and says, you know, I was really worried about the race relations in your building, and then I come and see you. I know my boys will be fine. I mean, talk about uh, a huge feather in your hat, in your hat, knowing that you can be there for another an, another group of kids that that I I didn't have that I had no one that looked like me when I was in when when I was going to school. But again, you turn that so it's about I want to be there for other people rather than rather than being bitter because, like I said. Bitter pills don't look good on anyone, no. right, <laughs> but the right. positivity is where, where you get it from, and you have a choice of how you want to get up each day and serve. You can, cho- you can choose to serve and be negative and complain, or you can choose to be happy and serve with, with that joy in your heart, because that's, that's when people understand wh- what, your true, what your true essence is about. Yeah. It's about the kids. It is about the children, because they are our future, and if we don't... View them as our future. We we are 
vision is skewed. Yeah, you, you just made me think about Ken Williams, what he was saying yesterday about you could choose to like think about that pinky toe and you're going to stub that exactly. thing and that's how your day is going to go and you could find all those reasons or you can choose to take the positive route. Yeah. And absolutely. So everyone, um, thank you for listening to the podcast today. Nancy, it's been great having you on. Um, you can find me at Brett Dom, B-R-E-T-D-O-M on the Twitter and uh, um, otherwise, thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe to the Mespa Principal Cast. Um, we love having all the listens and check out all the previous episodes. And we will see you next time. Thanks for listening.